0: You're listening to The McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. This episode is brought to you by The McKinsey Quarterly. Hello and welcome to this episode of The McKinsey Podcast with me, Simon London. If you listen to this podcast, you probably live or work in a city. And if you live or work in a city, you know that getting from A to B is often difficult and time-consuming. Extra point if you're actually listening to this episode while stuck in traffic. But it doesn't have to be this way. As we'll hear, a number of technologies are converging in a way that could make getting around in cities a whole lot easier. Autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, ride-sharing smart traffic systems, predictive maintenance. Each of these is interesting in its own right, but put them all together in the right way, and we could end up with cities that are a lot cleaner, more efficient, and more livable. To discuss the issues, I spoke with McKinsey's senior partner, Stefan Nupfer, and associate partner, Swana Ramanathan. You can read more about their research in the article, the Road to Seamless Urban Mobility, which you can find on McKinsey.com. So, Stefan and Swarner, welcome to the podcast. Simon, delighted to be here. Thank you. Very happy to be here, Simon. So, Stefan, we're going to be talking about urban mobility, uh, moving around in cities, and at the risk of a terrible palm that, that in some ways sounds like a very pedestrian topic. So, why should we be talking about this now? Why does this matter as a topic?
1: because cities have more than 50% of the population worldwide and it's actually growing also up to 60% by 2030, we do have actually significant increase in congestion. So it's more and more difficult for people to move around in city. For example, we have increased congestion in London, Paris, New York. And if you think about New York and LA, I think the congestion increased over the last six years by almost 30%. So this is significant. And then the last thing is, it needs to be healthy in cities. However, um, it will get more congested, it will get actually more polluted, and I think that's a significant issue also. So far, we have not found a solution. It actually just takes you longer, it's getting more expensive, it's actually more unhealthy to live in cities.
0: So things are getting getting worse, not better. Um, more people living in cities, more congestion, more pollution, and yet we think there is hope inside. So, so Swanon, why should we be optimistic and hopeful?
2: Well, we can be optimistic and hopeful because there are lots of technologies in place. Let me just pick on um, autonomous vehicles. right? It's not just um, self-driving cars, but also self-driving trains, buses, shuttles. Um, For example, uh, in December 2018, uh, Waymo announced the launch of a commercial autonomous vehicle taxi service in Phoenix, um, Arizona. Connectivity is another one it's not just again connected cars but um, again looking at connected intersections traffic signals crosswalks uh, internet of things etc how do you get a cohesive uh, ecosystem of um, connected technologies help you relieve traffic and hence relieve pollution and make people go from point a to point b in a more seamless uh, way and um, another one is electrification most uh, oems have announced launches of electric vehicles in the next couple of years and it's not just cars um again in the same line it's buses uh, bikes scooters commercial vehicles as well we shouldn't underestimate the um, congestion and pollution caused by commercial vehicles in the cities um, so electric uh, vehicles in all those uh, arenas and spaces
1: One addition to um, what Juana just said, because the interesting thing is why cities, because all those technologies, honestly, by itself, have a significant trend. And if you combine them in a city, which is really happening, you you literally have a revolution. So I think the speed that everything is changing on the mobility side right now comes through the combination.
0: So it's not just... You know, electric vehicles on its own. It's not just autonomous vehicles on its own, or connected cars, or traffic systems, or ride sharing. It's not any of those individually. It's the confluence of all of that. If you put it all together, then potentially you've got something revolutionary. Is is
1: that the the gist? I think that's exactly the gist, and I think you're also describing it in a perfect way, Simon. Because all of this needs to come together. That's exactly why we call it seamless mobilities.
0: Bring that to life for us a little bit. If I'm an urban dweller trying to get around within a city, what is is the seamless mobility
1: future like for me? It is interesting because you will actually use very similar means of transportation that you're used to. The difference is only today, all of them are not connected. They are pretty much independent systems that do not communicate with each other. The moment you do this seamless, you're using all those actually different modes of transportation in a seamless way, which means the moment I say in a city, I want to go from a point A to a point B, I literally online will know exactly what's the safest, what's the most kind of affordable, what's the fastest way to go from a point A to B. And it will tell me if I'm by myself, if I need to transport something, if I will have friends with me. I will offer me different ways of doing this
2: you know for example you might uh, summon a shared autonomous sh- shuttle to get to the railway station and then take a train into the city center and then maybe use an electric scooter or a robotaxi or uh, you know to just go on to your destination from the city center uh, train station so that makes your um, transit more seamless and point to point it's re- literally door-to-door using multiple modes of transport that's what the um, you know the consumers would see but behind the scenes we expect connectivity and intelligent traffic systems advanced rail signaling and predictive maintenance that would keep these trains and you know the, the remainder of the connected uh, transportation systems running more smoothly with fewer delays and breakdowns as compared to today
1: the combination is very often, um, I think, the most difficult part, for example, when you use public transportation, is actually that you get to the station. So if you can find a way that you get to the station, it's again, in a safe t- way, in a convenient way, all of a sudden the usage of public transportation becomes much more convenient. So, But again, that means that every transportation means needs to be connected and therefore needs to be online. That actually is the only way that you can connect them.
0: We are not imagining a future state in which, for example, trains go away and we're all buzzing around the city in sort of autonomous flying whatevers. I mean, our future of seamless mobility certainly has a, you know, has a big component of things that we are all familiar
1: with. I must admit, Simon, I don't want to forecast how a city is going to look like in 50 years because if you had asked me kind of 15, 20 years ago if what we're talking about right now is kind of even close to reality, I would have said not. because the technology development is so significant. That's also why we're kind of saying we're talking about 2030, 2040. Um, I must admit, I actually just recently served a client who is in the area of flying around. They had significantly um, more advanced ideas that I would even imagine. So we are very, very careful about kind of, we might fly around actually in cities much faster than we believe.
0: So what do we think in terms of if we could get to a world of, of seamless mobility? What's the upside?
1: If you succeed, and also based on our modeling, if the seamless mobility in the city actually... Um, works, we will have an increased transportation capacity of about 30%. That means about 30% more passenger miles that we can travel. We're doing this actually while cutting down on travel times by about 30%. And the cost will also go down significantly. So therefore, more every time the costs go down, demand goes up, more people want to go. But the nice thing is actually we have, we have the opportunity that more people can move around and we still move them around significantly shorter time. The most important piece is actually that the greenhouse gas emissions will go down significantly. Now, we have numbers that are significant because we talk about kind of going down by 80%. That obviously requires that we are fully um, electrified in the vehicles. So as long as you have combustion engines in the cities, it's not going to happen. But the moment you obviously have electrical vehicles, even if the energy generation is not perfectly clean, at least you keep it outside of the city.
0: Presumably, there are also big societal benefits here as well. So just talk a little bit, you know, beyond the economics and beyond the sort of saved minutes and more miles.
1: So we already talked about greenhouse gas. The autonomous is actually primarily going to be safer. Because if you think about 95% of deadly accidents are driving errors. Out of this, just very simple, 30% is actually trunk driving. About 30% people are just not doing something else, being not aware of what's going on on the street. A machine doesn't do this. If I make a driving mistake, I hopefully learn from it. Hopefully. Um, the machine, actually, the entire system is going to learn from it. So therefore, the system learning in this case is going to be just from a probability standpoint it will be safer people are actually they like autonomous driving um even today as long as it's in the city because in the city there is no fun driving you can stop and go all the time um, and the only thing is you're busy driving and you can't do anything else there's a lot of people who like their cars and like the driving experience and the cornering this is something you still can do in the countryside so as long as you have steering wheel in your car you can actually do both you can do You can actually do autonomous and you can do your own thing. And maybe last point that I like to um, raise here as a benefit is also it has actually economic benefit. And I think that's important in our report that everything that we propose makes economically sense. Just to give you an example, those new transportation services could actually be about 40% of of the total revenue of transportation revenue in 2030. That means for a city like London, a beautiful city, kind of about 10 billion of additional revenue on the transportation side. And if you multiply this by all big cities in the world, and you realize that kind of how big this industry will be.
0: And that's things like ride-sharing, robo-taxes, bike-sharing schemes. If you add all those up, we think sort of 40% of the overall revenues, transportation-related
1: revenues could be this new stuff. That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: So this all sounds fantastic. We've got a cleaner, safer, more efficient um, transportation system within cities, this world of seamless mobility. What's the catch?
2: I mean, the catch is that seamless mobility will not happen without um, a close public and private cooperation. This will not be solved uh, by either of them alone. For example, cities should be encouraging uh, the use of shared autonomous vehicles, but also controlling the number of autonomous vehicles that come onto the street. You really need innovation from the private sector, but also a little bit of controlling force from the public sector and the policies. And our research shows that if um, robotaxis and autonomous shuttles become widely available in an unconstrained way, congestion would only get worse and not better. Right. So while there could be many benefits, uh, more point to point trips, potential lower GHG emissions, like Stefan was mentioning, you know, you're going to um, open up travel to uh, a completely new segment of people who are not traveling today, etc. But we wouldn't be maximizing the potential of technology if there is no good private and uh, public partnership.
1: Building on Swana's point. If you do it in an unconstrained way and you're not actually doing all the technologies that we um, mentioned in a in a in a seamless um, interaction, you' actually at least in the short term might get some disadvantages. For example, in New York, you realized uh, the more you have Ubers obviously in New York, um, people like them and use them, that what you have is actually that people use less public transportation. We strongly believe that you need to have public transportation. and You actually need to expand capacities there. So it's a combination of it. It shouldn't take away. The second is actually if you have more driving on the street and you do this with combustion engine, you obviously make the pollution worse, you make the congestion worse. Uh, the congestion obviously leads to more pollution, all those different things. So therefore, in the transition, it's not going to be easy. And that's exactly why you have to have a strategy where you want to get to And then to Swana's point, you have to be very organized between public and private. If we just let it go, it's going to take us probably 10 years longer and much more hardship and much more money. And the cities can't wait because the point is that you have those congestion pollution problems today. And what cities do at this point right now, they ban vehicles, they ban cars out of the city, which is nice to walk. But on the other side, it actually takes you significantly longer.
0: You've mentioned the word robo taxes, and we've talked about autonomous vehicles, even autonomous shuttles as something that, that's probably part of the solution set. Realistically, when do we think some of those things are going to be hitting the streets at any kind of scale?
2: It really depends on uh, which part of the world you're talking about. You already see BEMO is doing uh, different pilots and uh, trying to bring it to a uh, commercial sense in Arizona, etc, but uh, it might not be the same case if you think about um, India or China as an example, because there are t- in different hurdles in terms of infrastructure and in regulation, etc. There needs to be careful coordination and synchronization. So I think uh, it's not a straightforward answer to say yes, robot taxis are going to come in 2020. If
1: you're more in a western developed city uh, you actually live in a more safer city, it's easier to go to autonomous. So therefore, you see kind of a lot of kind of the, the modern Western cities and a lot of the smaller European cities leading. So Helsinki, Oslo, they are smaller cities in Europe, but obviously they're very modern city. So they're actually well organized, so they go very quick in those things. On the other side, I believe cities that will be kind of newly built, a lot of the Chinese cities have all the opportunities to leapfrog. Now, the third dimension that, that you have cities like Mumbai or Mexico, they're all big, Mexico City, they have all big cities, but the infrastructure is not necessarily there. So they have absolutely the need from congestion and pollution to do something significant. On the other side, their starting point is relatively difficult in some of those areas. So you will see some of them doing significantly, changing and advancing significantly, but they're not necessarily the ones that are going to lead us in the next 10 years. I think the other thing is, I think when you talk about timing, I think you have to understand. What kind of autonomy, for example, you're talking about? Don't want to get too technical, but describe from a level one to a level five. Level five means everywhere, anywhere in the world, you're driving kind of autonomous. Nobody has a steering wheel anymore. Now think about kind of you drive through the deserts in in Arizona and you drive to the jungle somewhere in in Africa or or something like this. There are a lot of roads out there. That is actually not worse to try to drive them autonomous. So therefore, the level before. You have something organized, and you can actually have a relatively simple infrastructure. Think about highways. Think about New York City, kind of you're driving east or west, you're driving north and south, you're driving from traffic to traffic. It's relatively organized, and it's very relatively simple to build an infrastructure that allows you to coordinate there. So that's what you call level four. It's a little bit restrained. If you go there, people talk about, we can do this actually within the next 10 years very easily. Actually, people talk the technology is there, and therefore people talk about, we can do it within the next three to five years.
0: So we would argue that big generalization, but a lot of infrastructure spend should really be on smart infrastructure at this point. It's the connectivity and and the intelligence and existing infrastructure probably will get you more bang for buck.
1: There's a big budget, very honestly, in every city and state, and probably also federal government, building additional roads. Now, building additional roads is, in my understanding, a complete waste because if this happens in ten years from now, we generate significantly more free capacity. Just think about autonomous vehicle; they're not doing stop and go. They actually kind of all have the same distance because they actually don't have a reaction time. They can drive much faster. They can drive much closer. So all of a sudden. You're using significantly more of the road capacity. Right now, we're using an average of about 10% of road capacity that we built. Now building more roads is probably that more people will thrive, but it's not gonna solve our our solution, our problem. And therefore, changing budgets, and that's a little bit like a little bit difficult, I believe, also in the public environment, because if somebody has money allocated to a specific area, it's very difficult to say, do you know what? i am take a radical cut here. And move it completely to the other side. Usually, we do some small cuts, but small cuts actually don't lead to revolutions. I think the quality of the votes needs to improve, but I don't think we need necessarily significantly more votes. Put yourselves in the shoes
0: for a minute of uh, a mayor or a, a city planner. How do I approach this? I mean, I understand that there's a lot of change coming, and there's potentially a big role for me to coordinate and bring parties together to get to rational solutions here. Where do I begin?
1: So that's a terrific question. And to be quite honest, we are in the very fortunate situation that we are allowed to talk to a lot of mayors at this point right now. Interesting enough, not only about mobility, but also about smart cities. We work together with an organization called C40 that has about, um, I think, 93 or 96 kind of large major cities right now, more than than 25% of world GDP, 500 to 600 million people So therefore, through this, we have the opportunity to talk through mayors. We know this is actually a positive development. On the other side, it can be pretty messy on the way there. So therefore, we recommend pretty much to every mayor that you have to develop a mobility strategy that is 10, 15, 20 years out for your city. But it gives you also very clear indication not only for the people who live in your city and vote for you and need to understand why you do spending all the money, but also to the private sector that the private sector is ready to invest. But if you don't know if you're allowed to invest or if it makes sense in a city, you're sitting there and said the city has to do something. Now the city doesn't have the experience. The city doesn't necessarily have the money. The money is actually in the private. The uh, new technology is in the private side. So they both actually have to come together in a significantly more better way. I do believe the starting point needs to be in a city saying, I'm willing to take this on. The second thing is, we talked about, on the trust and mobility side, about 40 ideas, 40 major things that you can come up with. Again, we don't think that every city needs 40 of them, because a lot of them is already in place. So all of a sudden, if you get it down to 10 or 15, that's a number that you can manage. And I think that's very, very important. Don't try to follow kind of every lead. Don't try to follow every technology. Try to be very clear what you want to do and then lay out exactly kind of those 10, 15 things that you need to do. The moment you have 10, 15, you can also put the money next to it. You can put the management attention next to it. So I think this focus also that you understand what is important in the short term, what are the next steps, what are the technologies I can implement right now. I think that's important, but also, you have to have the big picture because otherwise, as I said before, you start banning vehicles out of a city. That's a solution, but very honestly, that doesn't make you kind of move around faster. It doesn't help you with your delivery. So you have to find better ways that those vehicles move around. I think that's the the better solution.
0: So you've mentioned that there are 40 or so levers or tools that are at at the disposal of, of cities and city governments. Just explain those a little bit. Without going through all 40, what are some of the tools that I've got
2: Yeah, so at the highest level, um, there are three ways for cities to get to a seamless mobility in states, according to our research work, right? So one is optimizing supply, another one is optimizing the demand for transport, and the third one is improving um, sustainability. If I had to pick a couple of them, very tactically, intelligent traffic systems includes lights that sense traffic and communicate with each other to minimize the times that you and i would spend on traffic and and traffic jams and uh, you know really maximize movement and they would also you know allow for dynamic lane allocation which um, shifts lanes to the direction with more traffic smart parking is a technology that connects vehicles to infrastructure or even vehicles to vehicles to inform where you and i could actually park um, and where parking is available Now, they both are um, proven technologies. Intelligent traffic systems have reduced commuting time in Buenos Aires by about 20%. And, you know, smart parking has uh, reduced, you know, searching time for parking by about five minutes on average in Johannesburg and in San Francisco. Right, So these have got um, significant impact on um, normal persons or normal commuters' lives by saving up time, but also are um, pretty simple solutions that any city could actually think of because there are existing technologies available in most cities available.
1: I, I like a lot what Swana is going because I think there are a few no-regret modes. And I think the examples that you had um, were wonderful, Swana. I believe there are one two that I would like to add to night delivery. Why do we deliver during the day? The only reason is because um, it's not autonomous. It makes noise. Noise is primarily um, the trucks that obviously are diesel trucks, and they go backwards and make noise, and all of this is not going to happen in the future. You have electrical vehicles. You don't need to make noise because you know your surrounding and things like this. So deliver at night, which means takes the trucks and the delivery away from the day. If you go through a city these days, You see right and left kind of, you see always trucks going to retail stores and everybody's kind of slallowing through the streets. Think about this is all opening, opens up the whole street. And at night, it's much easier also for the delivery. It's much easier because during the day, they can't park. So that's one thing. The other thing is, why is it that every delivery truck that actually goes long distance, um, I'm taking New York, needs to come over Washington Bridge, George Washington Bridge, and then deliver somewhere in Manhattan? Why is it not actually that you, what we call urban consolidation centers, which means they go actually directly in New Jersey in an urban consolidation center. They repackage pretty much from the big trucks into smaller ones, and the smaller ones are all electrical, and they only go to a specific zip code. And all of a sudden, it looks very different in a city,
0: But again, it's a big coordination issue, isn't it? Because there are all these private sector players and they're all doing what's rational for them and what minimizes the cost for them currently, which is to have their trucks coming into the city. But getting to a more rational solution for the city as a whole takes an enormous amount of coordination among a lot of different parties.
2: Yes, it takes a tremendous amount of um, coordination, but it's not impossible, Simon. Um, you know, cities like Barcelona have actually piloted or piloting um, this night delivery system that uh, Stefan was just uh, explaining, right? And they have seen very good results that uh, travel times have been reduced by five minutes during the daytime because they were able to move, you know, allow deliveries to be done during the night time. So it's possible. It's not impossible.
0: What about the private sector side? If I'm a CEO here, what are what are the opportunities for me? Why should I be excited about this?
1: You should be excited because obviously there are significant business opportunities in the first place and where there is new technology and new business opportunities that I hope that would excite actually CEOs to invest. Now, again, as we said, I would only invest if I know that there is actually a city that I can work with. So that's exactly why we said the public and the private sector needs to interact. We thought about four layers that you could think through. And I think as as well as a city, but also obviously as as a business, infrastructure layer, a rolling stock layer, a digital analytics layer, and a user interface layer. Infrastructure layer is literally kind of the very basic hard assets, for example, roads, rail lines, but also, for example, charging infrastructure for electrical vehicles. Rolling stock is another one, very simple. We talk about trains, we talk about buses, but we also talk about robot taxis. We talk about minibuses buses and, and mini shuttles. We talk about electrical bicycles and scooters. So this is all the different kinds of vehicles that are moving around on the surface. The next one, it becomes pretty clear because the moment, as we talked about, if you want to go from a point A to B and you change different modes, you need to understand the kind of all the different steps that you go through in your mobility, which means you're talking about analytical and digital layers like ticketing, like payments that you have to do, like mapping, like vehicle routing, congestion pricing. We talked about the intelligent traffic lights that all need to be connected. Preferred lanes, all of this becomes there. And then the most interesting one, and people like to forget about it, but think about it: we all like our smartphone. That's gonna be probably the device how we're gonna manage mobility also going forward. But on it, you need navigation maps, you need payment integration, you need to find a very simple interface that people actually say, "I want to go to A from A to B." That's all of this. I want to be safe. I want to be fast. I'm not paying. I want to pay a lot of money. I want to do it with friends. I have a luggage that I have to take. With this little information, it should actually give you a very simple structure and say, here's your vehicle, this is actually what you're gonna do first, second, third. And then very hopefully, very simple, you're gonna get from A to B and you're gonna enjoy it.
0: So it reminds me a little bit of, you know, information technology people like to talk about, the stack, and it sounds like there's there's an there's a mobility stack here all the way from the hard infrastructure at the bottom right the way up through to a user interface layer at the very top. And the trick for a CEO is to think about, well, where do we want to play? Where do we play there? And which are the bits of that stack that we want to be in? I think
1: that's exactly right. And I think also you have to understand the interfaces. So even if you play in one, you need to find a way that you actually add value to the entire system. And that's exactly, I believe, why we need kind of a strategy and we need to have the different players coming together together. And we need, what you see right now, most of the players at this point right now, they offer a product or a service, but they're not offering solutions. We need them actually working together to offer solutions. And I think that's the way to get to seamless mobility.
0: Okay. So I think that's all we have time for. But Swana and Stefan, thanks so much for joining.
1: Simon, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you. And thanks as always to you, our listeners, for tuning in. To read more about our research and work, on the future of mobility, please visit mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.